You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to America's Web Radio in the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and by popular demand, we have one of our favorite guests back, Dr. Rich McCormick. He's running for the United States Congress in the Georgia 7th. He's such an accomplished guy. He's a humble guy, but I told him before the show I want him to tell us about all of his accolades. I recently just found out he used to be on American Gladiators, which is like, man, what has this guy not done? But just because your list is so long and I can't remember it all, why don't you just tell us all about yourself? Well, I, I'm blessed. I, I came from humble beginnings, uh, literally a single-parent mom with the with – the, uh, when she was employed, was a secretary. And uh, when she wasn't, we had some hard times. I, I remember growing up, uh, my only bias, if you will, in my opinion, is if you're a rich person, you have to prove to me you're not a jerk because I remember the kids making fun of the uh, clothes we, we wore growing up. And uh, my first paycheck, or my first tax return went to my mom to uh, buy a carpet for our house, which was literally threadbare right down to the uh, floor. Uh, but I've lived the American dream. My mom never talked about being poor. She was never downtrodden about it, never envied anybody. And I think that's where I've gotten my great attitude of if you work hard, great things happen. Um, as I, I grew up, I went to school. I was actually supposed to go enlist in the Army. Uh, but I saw this movie in 1986, the same year I graduated high school, called Top Gun. Uh, it looked pretty cool. They flew around some airplanes. They, they, uh, they were popular with the gals. So... Uh, uh, I wanted to know how you do that. They said you had to go to college. I said, okay, I will. I'd only applied to one college instead of going to enlist in the Army. I went to college uh, in the Navy ROTC program. But everybody who I met that was impressive, everybody who was the, the, the top of the food chain, the people who were really the go-getters, the, the people who could move the needle, were all the Marine options, the guys who had the greatest camaraderie, uh, the greatest fitness, the, the greatest motivation, uh, the their camaraderie was unparalleled. I'd never seen anything like that before, and I wanted to be part of that brotherhood. And so I, I joined up with the Marines, and uh, when I graduated from college, went to the basic school, which all Marines have to go through six months of training to learn to be an infantry guy before you learn to be anything else. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be selected to be the, uh, the guy who made the commercial for the Marine Corps back in the uh, 90s <laughs> uh, on the, the chess commercial uh, version of the Marine Corps commercial, which played for about seven years on national TV, uh, did the American Gladiators, as you mentioned, went to the Grand Championship, uh, la- lost to Dagum, uh, Pat Skizmazia in the Grand <laughs> Championship, who went on to be the international champion. Uh, was really fortunate to make some great relationships there. Uh, served 16 years in the Marine Corps, a couple tours over in, in combat zones in the Persian Gulf. Uh, did uh, Restore Hope in Rwanda. Uh, we did the UN withdrawal of uh, troops from Somalia. Um, so 94 and 96 was over in the Persian Gulf, came back in the late 90s, went over to the Korean to work with the Korean Marines and uh, in an airborne unit called First Anko, which was fantastic. Every single guy was uh, 300 PFT or uh, perfect fitness levels. Um, you really had to hold these guys back from doing their job. Uh, eventually went back to the cockpit and then uh, came here to Georgia as a Marine Officer Instructor, was a, an associate professor at Morehouse College and Georgia Tech uh, for four years where I finished up my pre-med 
And uh, during the course of all that, I was able to make some more great relationships. Ended up getting out, going to medical school as a single parent of three little boys. The youngest at the time was, I believe, two or three years old at the time. Um, my senior year, the same year that President Obama was elected President of the United States, I was elected student body president at a school that's about 60% female, about uh, 80% black, and about 95% liberal. And, and it's very interesting, when I was doing the primary race, one of my opponents was spending an inordinate amount of time trying to get dirt on me. What did I say to this student body that was so liberal that got me elected student body president? And then, ironically, recently an AJC reporter said, I bet you if they knew how conservative you were, you would have never been elected student body president. Here's the funny thing is, they both have it wrong. They both, the reporters and the politicians don't understand what this is about. They think that it's about politics. Everything that I'm doing right now has to do with people. People are way more important than politics. Politics is obviously not the sol solving our problems in America. Matter of fact, that's what's dividing us. That's what's causing all the hate and discontent. People are making a very good living off of dividing us. And, and I can point to multiple organizations, and I've been very critical about everything from military organizations who have taken a lot of money to support their organization without actually getting anything done. And, and I'm all about, let's not talk about organizations, let's not talk about parties, let's not talk about divisive things, let's talk about the things that unite us. And I, and I think one of the things that's shameful is they've taken everything that's united us in the past, whether it be our faith in God, our faith in this great nation, and you could say that's the symbol of the flag, and, and yeah, you have the right to do whatever you want, but why do we keep on taking away the things that divide us? And, and if you think that that I promised anybody either liberal or conservative things to get elected, you don't understand what this campaign is going to be about. It's going to be an authentic campaign based on solving problems. Uh, you're going to see endorsements from police officers. You're going to see endorsements from black Democrats. It doesn't matter. The main thing is we're working towards a common goal uh, of getting through this life together in the best possible way with your ability to have the freedom to succeed if you work hard enough. Yeah, I think that's what the key is here. I think there are people in both parties that have really had it. I know I have with our elected leaders. They've completely uh, dropped the ball. Uh, we literally are seeing the country burning down around us. This show, The Doctor's Lounge, I really like to talk about things from the medical perspective, which is a another reason you and I sort of have common ground is, you know, we're both doctors, so we both understand how treating patients is affected by the government penetration. And, um, you know, we're going to talk some more about the COVID uh, outbreak. I keep telling myself I want to talk about something different, but obviously it's an enormous um part of what's going on in the country right now. And the other thing that I think is really important about it is it illustrates the failure of government. The response to, to, to what's happened with COVID shows the, the incompetence of government, shows the corruption of government, and the fecklessness. And it, it really contrasts well with people who are free market medical doctors who have gotten this whole thing completely right and continue to get it right, and we're fighting for truth. And one of the biggest issues that has impacted me during this entire experience was to see this push to discredit hydroxychloroquine, where the respect, a respected medical journal, The Lancet, came out 
with information that said that hydroxychloroquine was not only not effective at treating the COVID, but it was actually killing patients. The the FDA piggybacked on this study to ban its use and basically prevented community doctors like you and me from being able to prescribe this, what we now know is a life-saving drug. And it wasn't long after this happened that the Lancet then retracted the story because the data was unverifiable. And the data was produced by a company called Surgisphere that miraculously appeared right after Trump made positive comments about hydroxychloroquine and now that the Lancet has had to withdraw this study because the data was bogus, suddenly the surgisphere has gone away. And that more than anything illustrated to me the power of the corruption in government and how government not only can't take a, take care of you from a healthcare perspective or any other in my opinion, but certainly from a healthcare perspective, they won't take care of you. And that's what I kind of want to convey to people. And that's one of the reasons, not one of the reasons, that's the reason that I support Rich. He's a true blue guy. And I can tell you over the years, I've had opportunity to go to D.C., meet with all kinds of people, politicians, the talking heads we see on TV all the time. And what I've learned is they just make a living off of it. You know, it's pro wrestling. And, you know, I know a lot of people use that that analogy, but it is really like pro wrestling. They talk, they fight, but in the end, they're all in it together. They all make a living off of government, which I guess a lot of us didn't mind so much. But they're making a living off of government, and they're absolutely failing us in every way possible to the point now our schools are doing such a poor job that kids don't know anything uh, true about our country. They couldn't be any more poorly educated than if we were trying to prevent them from learning. We have entire police forces that are abdicating cities uh, because they get no support from the politicians. Our medical care is completely failing. And, you know, yesterday I was scrolling through my Twitter and it was just video after video after video of citizens being beaten in the streets having their shoes stolen and uh, you know this anarchy that we're descending into is is just not what we're about as a country and we need people like you to go to DC and to actually hold the line and I know Rich personally and I know he's the kind of guy that's going to resist the temptation of lobbyists who are going to come in and immediately try to buy you off and get you in line so that you can support, you know, whatever it is that uh, this this corrupt alliance between the lobbyists and government politicians are doing, and it's against the American people. You know, it's funny you mentioned education. I think education is one of the most important parts of what we're trying to accomplish as Americans. Uh, unfortunately, with the incorporation of philosophical uh, approaches of Marxism and, and socialism in general uh, with our children, uh, we've seen this shift in our politics and also in the way we approach government in general, which is always looking to the government as the solution. As a matter of fact, in, in my opinion, the, the last option should always be the government when we can't solve it on our own because usually it's the most inefficient, biased solution to begin with, and then it becomes more ineffective as it wears on. And you can point to multiple programs in the government as, as a result of that. But I think you're right. When we talk about what are we teaching our children, instead of indoctrinating them on, on what's moral and what's right, 
Why don't we talk to them about things we know have a great effect? We've already done a really good job with cigarettes, for example. We're almost done with cigarettes with high school kids. Uh, we're, we're within a generation of, of eliminating that. But the problem is we forgot to circle back and tell them that heroin is also bad and crack cocaine is also bad and all these other illicit drugs are bad. Vaping is bad. And, and so I'm seeing this huge influx of things that used to exist back in the 60s that we got rid of, but we stopped teaching our children. And, and so the little things that make your life better – whether it be uh, what, what foods you put in your body, what, how you stay away from things that are bad for you. You wouldn't have to spend billions and billions of dollars overseas to fight the illicit drug war. Uh, if you just educated kids, then you wouldn't have the demand here, and, and you wouldn't have to worry nearly as much about losing, losing American lives and, and watching families destroyed by this drug problem because we don't teach our kids the basics of what's good for them, whether it be how they spend their money, what kind of uh, things they put in their body, uh, how they associate with people, uh, just common respect and free the ability to exchange ideas without fear or without labeling or without um, bias. With actually having, it goes back to the, the days of Greek. If you study Greece and Rome and, and that the thought of freedom of speech and, and interchange of ideas without vilifying people, allow them to actually have a conversation. And, and you'll actually teach children something that they can use in life that's going to be beneficial to this great nation and to their families and themselves all at the same time. But we're not teaching kids that. We're indoctrinating them instead on philosophies that are dangerous and divisive. Yeah. Folks, we're, we're talking with Dr. Rich McCormick. Uh, he's running for the Congress in the Georgia 7th. He's an emergency room physician, a rugby player. Um, I, of course, was a rugby player, so he and I connect on a lot of levels. Um, just to piggyback on that critical thinking, that's one of the things that has really frustrated me. And anybody who knows me knows I'm not, you know, when I go back to my high school reunions, I, I still get this all the time. You're a what? You know, when I tell them I'm an orthopedic surgeon because they just can't believe it. That's not what people <laughs> thought I was going to be. You know, I wasn't, you know, the guy who was killing it on the SATs and necessarily thought of as a smart guy. But my father taught me good qualities of, of character, um, independent thinking, uh, uh, operating under a moral code. Um, and hard work. You know, my dad kind of told me, when you get out into the real world, the smart people and all that kind of stuff, that's great. But the people who succeed are the workers and the people who think for themselves. And that's another aspect of this whole coronavirus pandemic that's that's exposing to me how we have lost our way as a nation. And I'm just going to talk about masks for a little bit. So... You know, masks are really big right now. You know, people are very passionate about it. My wife and I have probably had at least four or five fights this week alone over masks. And I have been studying masks for 30 years. You know, it's not like I just started thinking about it when coronavirus came up. Uh, when I first got to medical school, I wanted to know why do we wear masks in the operating room? How do masks work? Uh, what is the purpose of masks? How did it all come about? When did we start wearing masks? Who thought of it? I've researched all of this stuff. And the reality is, you know, people come to me on Twitter all the time and say, well, if masks don't work, why do we wear them in the operating room? Well, I can tell you we don't wear them in the operating room to stop coronavirus. They're effective at stopping bacteria. Um, and we, in general, don't want to spittle on the wounds when we're operating, uh, but masks are not effective at stopping virus. We have had research on the transmission of influenza virus uh, for for 40 years, and the, the overwhelming 
conclusion of that research has been that masks are ineffective at the transmission of influenza virus. And in fact, the CDC did a meta-analysis of research from 1946 to 2017 and found that masks were not effective at the transmission of influenza. And I know people out there are going to say, well, influenza is not, not coronavirus, but it's similar enough to be able to extrapolate out that if masks are not effective for influenza, they're more likely than not effective for the coronavirus. Having said that, the masks that we're talking about are a particular kind of mask, the N95 mask, and we'll, we won't even get into the fact that there's some uh, research out there that suggests that maybe that's not effective. But the masks that we are wearing, for the vo- most part, are these paper masks, these cloth masks, these bandanas. These are absolutely ineffective. I mean, that's an incontrovertible fact. Uh, they are not stopping anything, not large respiratory droplets, small ones, nothing. And yet... there's become this sort of politics around it. And, you know, we can't get people to think critically about it. They're thinking emotionally. And I'll just say my wife and I went to um, uh, a Chipotle, and I think they probably had about 20 employees back there. Every single one of them was wearing it as a chin strap. I was in church uh, not long ago. A guy has the mask on, and when he gets ready to sneeze, he pulls it off and sneezes, which is... That's the time you want the mask on, and then he puts the mask back on. And then, of course, we've sort of seen, uh, I've been posting this video of Anthony Fauci, who is giving his talk on camera, and then as soon as he thinks the cameras are off, he immediately takes the mask off and and, uh, puts it on his chin. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, here's a guy who's trying to convince me that the mask is important, but he's behaving like somebody who knows that the mask is ineffective. We can see these reporters in the White House press briefings that all got busted taking the mask off as soon as the cameras were on and busted because they were taking it off to talk or they had it below their nose. And I just saw the last White House press conference when they were peppering um, the the press secretary, McEnany, uh, about Trump loving the Confederate flag. And every one of them had their masks dutifully over their faces, Uh, And it's become this sort of political symbol to the point where I can't even have a rational conversation about it because anytime I try to talk to people about the science, I'm immediately peppered with, you're killing people. And I'm thinking to myself, how did we get from masks are, are useful if it's an N95 to the cloth masks don't work to if I don't wear a paper mask or a cloth mask, I'm killing people? How do we get to this place? So there, there's a lot of talk about symbols when when you when what you just said is i think it's been used now as if you don't wear a mask you don't care and and i think it's important that we as healthcare professionals and we as people in general don't come across as callous it's not that i don't care i do care and if you're sick by the way i don't care if you wear a mask or not you shouldn't be out if you're sick please stay at home please isolate yourself if you're high risk please don't put yourself in a situation thinking that that mask is going to help you because it's not going to. If you're high risk, you need to stay away from large groups of people because this disease could harm you. The young generation, the healthy people, whether you wear a mask or not, if you get sick, most likely you won't get very sick. Um, And that's why when this school conversation comes up, realize that Yes, if you're in a multi-generational family and you're going to expose yourself to high-risk people, maybe it's not something good. But for the general public, young, healthy families, I'm just not all that concerned. Uh, If this was a novel virus, if flu was a novel virus, for example, like it was back in the uh, 1918, you know, it killed 20... 
25 million people in about 25 weeks. Um, that was a horrible disease, and we didn't know how to treat it. We didn't know how to contain it. Um, just put that in perspective. There are a lot fewer people back then. Uh, now we have another novel virus. You're going to have some bad results. I'm not trying to minimize what this disease process is, but we are trying to have a good conversation about solutions that are realistic rather than just symbols. And, and what the good doctor here is trying to describe is that don't think that you're safe because you're wearing a ma mask. And don't think that you're not safe when you're not wearing a mask. There's way too much labeling going on right now. And, and there's a big difference between bacteria and virus when you're talking about communicable diseases. And, and uh, we've proven over and over again, and, and we had a study, and I'll talk about some medical stuff. When we suture somebody who has a laceration, uh, it used to be for a while people wanted to wear sterile gloves and make sure that every, you know, I had a mask on, everything like that. So they did studies on it. And I'm talking about well-powered study, tens of thousands of people studying to see what the reoccurrence of infection was after I get done uh, washing this wound and suturing it with gloves that were normal gloves that I just took out of a box or gloves that came out of a package that were absolutely sterile for sure. And what they found after these extensive studies was you actually have a slightly higher infection rate with the sterile gloves. I think it's just coincidental because that's how studies are. They're not perfect. But in other words, there's no, absolutely no variance, and that's a bacterial infection. Now, bacteria are hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times larger than, than a virus. Virus, you cannot see on a regular microscope. I can see a bacteria much way before I can see a virus because that's the size differential. So, so when you put a mask on, it may stop most of the bacteria, and that's why you wear it in the surgical suite. But a virus, it's just not meant for a virus to be contained um, just because of the way a virus is. It's so small. But that doesn't mean to be worried. And once again, we get into medical studies. There was a time, if you're going to silence medical professionals and, and not allow any discord or, or dissent, remember that the medical community, the absolute experts in the world had changed their opinion on how to treat the disease more times than I can tell you. At first, when this disease came out, we, we said that don't use steroids. Absolutely don't use steroids. It's going to have a bad outcome. My wife, who's an oncologist, said I use Decadron and, and the patients seem to get well right away. And guess what they're doing now? We're using Decadron as a standard of care, which we said don't do it. Then they said don't use Motrin. Motrin is giving you bad outcomes. We did studies on it. And guess what we're using for fever control now and body aches? Motrin, because we found out it had no difference. There was a time in medicine where we said, don't wash your hands. But one doctor said, we should probably wash our hands before we do surgery. I think it's going to have a better outcome. I just, <laughs> this is his theory at the time, because it hadn't been proven, and people ostracize him because you're not supposed to have dissent. You're not supposed to call another doctor and say, you're wrong. And even in the medical community, even amongst very intelligent people, we're seeing people go toe the line because it's the popular thing to do. And, and what Dr. Barber is very good about is not being popular, but just being having a common sense approach to this. Not, I'm not going to vilify you if you're wearing a mask. But don't vilify people who aren't wearing a mask thinking that they don't care. Maybe some don't. Maybe some do. It doesn't really matter. But let's talk about the facts. You know, first of all, one of the things that I always thought was amazing about our American culture, the way we are, you know, our credo, is free speech. I mean, it's the first um, amendment in our Constitution. And it's something that, you know, I'm 55 years old, and it's, you know, that's what we're predicated on. That's our rock. The, the Constitution is what moors us 
uh, and protects us and keeps us safe. And it seems in the last 20 to 30 years, we've started to control speech by taking what you say and turning it into hate speech and then saying, well, we're not really banning speech. We're just branding what you're saying because it's hateful or hurtful. And, and I've you know been saying along the way, like, wait a second, all speech is important because who's the arbiter? of what's proper and what's not proper. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I used to, you know, I'd study the Revolutionary War and I'd study the Civil War and I'd study World War One and, and um, I, World War Two, And, you know, you study the Holocaust and things like that. And I would think to myself, I'm so happy that we've evolved beyond that, that we're so much smarter and better. And I look at us now and I think we're no different than those people were back then. The thing that has saved us has been a constitution and the rule of law, and that's eroding before our very eyes. And we can point it out again with this COVID pandemic. There's a a physician in Minnesota. He's a state senator, Senator Scott Jensen, who uh, did a post on, on Facebook and social media, went viral the other day. He's been a practicing physician for 40 years. He's won awards for being the top physician in the state. And suddenly uh, he got a letter from the um, Department of uh, Public Health in his state saying that he was being investigated for spreading misinformation regarding COVID. And, uh, you know, I'm listening to what he's saying. And number one, I agree with every single thing he says, which means, uh, listen, I'm a rational doctor. I, you know, I've done well in school. I've passed all my boards pretty well. I've been very successful as a doctor. I have a good record. Uh, I agree with what he's saying. And now you're getting to the point where you're literally being investigated by the medical board for having a medical opinion. And I'm thinking to myself, I want to shake the people next to me like, do you see what's happening here with this government? They have failed so epically in every part of this COVID uh, disaster, starting off with the World Health Organization, which, thank God, we finally pulled out of that worthless organization. The World Health Organization that I used to have thrown in my face, I know you have too. Well, the World Health Organization rates the United States as the 37th or 39th best health care in the world behind Cuba. I mean, really? Uh, we finally pulled out of that organization because they lied. The, uh, the, the head of the World Health Organization is a guy named Tedros. He's from Ethiopia. China basically has been implementing their Belt and Roads Initiative in Ethiopia and basically building up that entire country, pumping uh, millions and you know tons of money in there to build that country up. And in return, they get this guy Tedros who's out there parroting the Chinese Communist Party line regarding this entire COVID to the point where they said early on that uh, there was no human-to-human transfer. The, the, the uh, World Health Organization tweeted this out. They said that it came from an animal uh, and that, it, you know, no, nothing to do. They praised China for their response when China was banning travel within the country of China but allowing travel with, throughout the entire world while at the same time calling Trump a racist because he was wanting to stop travel from China in the face of this pandemic, which, by the way, turned out to be the correct thing. We've seen Fauci come on and tell us initially, hey, there's nothing to see here. Don't worry about it. Go to Chinatown. Uh, you know, do your Tinder dates, which I thought was an incredibly odd statement at the time, uh, to now we need to wear masks forever. This has gotten so out of hand, and it's emblematic and Ill- illustrative of the failure of government, that there's just no discipline of failure with government. In a free market system, if I deliver great care to my patients, if I'm effective, I will earn business and I will stay in business. If I don't, I'm out of business. 
The government doesn't have this discipline of failure. They fail over and over and over, epically fail. We got Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, who's being touted as you got to run for president on the Democratic ticket. This person literally mandated that nursing homes accept COVID positive patients at a time when we knew that older folks were the most susceptible. And when we look back, 40 to 50% of all the deaths that have occurred have Boy. been in nursing homes. And now he comes out with the Cuomo Commission that says, by the way, guess guess who's not responsible? He's not responsible. It's the people who visited that brought the virus in, not the people who actually had the COVID that were admitted. It's so insane. It's so absurd. Uh, That's why, you know, I have to operate 10 cases today, but I'm coming in to do this show because I want to help spread the word uh, that our government is failing us worse than even I ever thought. We're going to get back to more of this when we come back from break. I'm Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to America's Web Radio, and we have uh, Rich McCormick, soon to be congressman from Georgia 7th. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to America's Web Radio and the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Scott Barber, a practicing orthopedic surgeon and your host today, and I'm with Rich McCormick. He's the Republican nominee for the uh, Georgia 7th uh, Congress. So who are you going to be going up against uh when election time comes around? So let me set the table for you for a second. We had 13 candidates run for the primary originally. Uh, some people dropped off early when it came time to actually register for the election. We had seven candidates. Even my political consultant said there's no way we'll win without a runoff. We're going against a standing state senator. Uh, you know, hopefully you'll be in the top two is the goal. We won decisively. And once again, getting away from the politics, getting in towards what we're going to accomplish, making it about the people, uh, being broad tent, thinking outside the box, and, and really not leaving a stone unturned when it comes to reaching out to people and, and being inclusive in our message. Because I believe that the conservative message is not exclusive to any people. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what your uh, religion is. This is about living in harmony and having the opportunity to succeed, period, uh, which I think is universal. Now I'm going against a, a candidate, uh, Carolyn Bordeaux. She went against uh, Rob Woodall last time and uh, almost beat him. 
in a uh, seat where he was the incumbent. Uh, it was the closest election in Congress in the entire nation in 2018, decided by less than 500 votes. Uh, that's why this is going to be one of the highest, most anticipated races in the nation, top three for sure. There's going to be a ton of focus, ton of money involved. Uh, the DCCC has already uh, gone out of their way to vilify me. As a matter of fact, one of the funny things is I was originally scheduled to be asked some questions by a reporter. One of them was going to be on how dare you say that hydroxychloroquine was a viable uh, medication for this disease process. Clearly, you didn't read the, uh, the data behind that. And, and of course, at the time, I was ready for it because I was like, well, heck, that was what was recommended by the CDC. That's what we were recommending. That's what our pulmonologist, by the way, my Democrat friend who was a pulmonologist, was prescribing it to his friends prophylactically. So it wasn't a political decision. It was based on medical studies at the time. And that may change just like it did on Motrin and, and uh, steroids and stuff like that. But one of the things that I thought was – including mass and everything else that Fauci has vacillated on himself – but but what they didn't understand is that same day, all of a sudden that, that study that said that hydroxychloroquine was bad got flipped. And so they, they all of a sudden that question went away from my interview. And, and that's the funny thing about this. We always go off the most recent data, which will change, by the way. In a year from now, our whole understanding of how to treat this disease and how it's communicated will totally change. We're going to look back on this as what were we – we jumped to all these conclusions. And by the way, that's why the government was – wonderfully designed by our, our founders with the Constitution to change slowly so that we don't dramatically shift policies based on a whim. We don't respond to the mob. But exactly. And, and that's one of the, the things that's most alarming right now is watching the mobs trying to control things and change things dramatically based on an emotion rather than on actually a dialogue uh, of people who are, are sitting down and talking about things at work. So I'm just going to tell you, we're going to talk a little bit about that um, uh, in terms of critical thinking. That's what this show is about. I just want people to critically think about what's going on, and I want to point out how our government, our, our, our country, is an amazing country. It's the best place in the world for people to succeed, and it's not to say that there aren't obstacles out there. My father used to tell me, America is not a perfect place, but it's the best place that's ever existed. And although you're going to face obstacles, if you keep your head down, you work hard, you treat people right, you'll be successful. And you know what? He's been 100% right. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, for what I do, I did not have a lot of those tools uh, to begin with. I wasn't a great reader. Uh, you know, the academic part was tough for me. I did graduate fourth in my medical school, but that was sheer work. That was not you know, some kind of gift of intelligence or anything. And then I've been um, successful at my job because it's who I am. I, 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 you know, my father used to say, find what you love to do and do that for a living. Nobody will ever be able to outwork you because you're not at work. And that's what I've found here. And we're raising a generation of kids that are told uh, anything negative that happens to you, it's, it's some, it's, it's racism or misogynism or homophobia or Islamophobia or, uh, you know, it, people are keeping you down. And it's just a, a wrong message. We all face obstacles in life. Now we got um, Black Lives Matter and we got Antifa that are taking our kids and uh, trying to prevent them from thinking critically, teaching them how to be violent and sort of have this violent overthrow of our rule of law. And, you know, I was telling you in the beginning of the show 
I was really depressed yesterday scrolling through my Twitter and just watching video after video after video of people being beaten in the streets in cities across the country. And I've also been very involved in the politics of, you know, I don't want socialized medicine. So I'm working hard to preserve and to expand uh, free market medicine. And along the way, I have Republican politicians and, and staffers tell me, don't talk about the hydroxychloroquine. The issue is lost. Scott, don't talk about the masks. You'll offend people. Uh, Scott, don't tell the truth. You know, it, it's not a good political win. Hey, listen, man, I'm not a political guy. I'm a doctor. I'm a person. I care for my patients, and I'm here to tell you the truth. And I'm going to tell you the truth, whether that's, uh, it, you know, offends you or not. Now, you know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but I'm not going to uh, not say the truth because I want to protect your feelings. So, the data is pretty clear to me on masks. It's not effective. Now, I, I'm not going to, you know, think ill of somebody because they choose to wear a mask. If I were to go into a private business and they wanted me to wear a mask, of course I would. It's their business, and that's how we respect things. But I'm not going to comply to the governor or, sorry, the mayor of Atlanta who's, you know, threatening uh, a mask edict. I mean, this is a woman who literally... Um, you, you know, she was so unsupportive of a police officer who was involved in an altercation that the police force in Atlanta has basically left. And now she's telling us she's going to enforce some kind of mask edict. And I'm just wondering who's going to be around to enforce this mask law. Um, and on the hydroxychloroquine issue, uh, when the FDA and the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet came out saying F, uh, hydroxychloroquine not only was ineffective, at treating the virus, it was dangerous and causing deaths. I said, no, I don't care if it's the new, it's not the truth. I knew it to be false. And so I continued to promote hydroxychloroquine. And now the Lancet has retracted the study. And of course, the hydrox, or sorry, the New England Journal of Medicine uh, also retracting their, their assertion that hydroxychloroquine is dangerous and ineffective. Now, all of a sudden, we had four studies last week from Henry Ford. Uh, Dr. Zelenko has got a study out there that's uh, got compelling data that shows a significant five-fold decrease in mortality in patients who take hydroxychloroquine and zinc. This is another thing. When they were trying to discredit the hydroxychloroquine, all of the studies were these massive doses in people who are already on ventilators well, I could have told you that was going to fail. It's early treatment when symptoms first hit, mild symptoms, low dose with zinc. Hydroxychloroquine is an ionophore that opens up the cell so that the zinc can get in. The zinc blocks the RNA polymerase so that the virus can't replicate, and that's how this works. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I am a doctor, and what I'm trained to do is sift through information and take that information and present it to my patients so that I can treat them. Now, I see people, my, my wife read to me last night a Facebook post of a physical therapist who's working in the ICUs, and she wrote this very passionate, you know, everybody's dying of, of COVID, they're in the ICUs, they're struggling. She was very articulate and, and flowery language about how they're suffering and the misery and this and that, and that she just wanted to shake people that wouldn't wear a mask. And I'm thinking to myself, again, you're trying to make me out as, as a bad guy because I won't wear a mask and, and that I'm somehow responsible for these problems, yet I don't hear any anger about this fraud 
that was perpetrated by, by the government to discredit hydroxychloroquine and zinc and ostensibly prevent community doctors from prescribing this medicine. I mean, when the, when the Lancet and the, F, and the New England Journal of Medicine came out discrediting hydroxychloroquine, that the FDA immediately came in right behind them and basically banned use, which the FDA doesn't have that power. But what they did was they threatened the pharmacist's license and said, even if you get a script written by Scott Barber, you're not to fill it. And if you do, we're going to track you down. I had doctor friends in blue states that were absolutely terrified and received letters threatening their licenses if they prescribed hydroxychloroquine. If that doesn't frighten you, I don't know what's going to. But, you know, when I first started this show, you know, I was not necessarily a conspiracy theorist. I really thought of government as primarily just being incompetent. But now the corruption part has really become evident to me. And this whole episode on the hydroxychloroquine and the zinc uh, has exposed that to me better than anything ever could. I've had information uh, to really know what's going on here. I'm educated on the subject. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, even if hydroxychloroquine doesn't end up being the end-all, be-all to, to treatment, it's funny, even with remdesivir, which everybody said was the treatment, now nobody's really talking about it anymore, and it may or may not be good for you. No. But these new drugs that they come out with, notice they'll be 10, 20, maybe 100 times more expensive maybe for a minuscule difference. And you'll see, based on these drug companies, which ones get pushed, based on, once again, the difference between your regular gloves and your, your sterile gloves. The sterile gloves cost 100 times more than the regular gloves. Yep. There's, there's no difference in outcome, but the one that's going to get pushed is the one with the benefit. This whole thing is about money, it's about power, and it's about politics. And let's talk about rendesmavir. So rendesmavir is a medication that is produced by a company called Gilead, which, by the way, Anthony Fauci and nine of the NIH board members who decide what our treatment response is going to be all have financial interests in Gilead. Gilead is expected to make $2.1 billion in 2021 with the treatment of covid That would be threatened if a cheap generic drug like hydroxychloroquine was found to be effective and made it so we didn't need the rendesmavir. The study on rendesmavir was designed initially to demonstrate the decrease in mortality. Mid-study, it became clear that the decrease in mortality was not going to be demonstrated by the study, and so they changed the endpoint to be decrease in hospital stay. So that is a scientific no-no. You don't do that with with research papers to have a hypothesis and then mid-study when it's not working out the way you want it to suddenly change your hypothesis. It's corrupt beyond description. Uh, If you went to the Florida Department of Health website the other day, somebody just sent me a, a, um, a screenshot of it. We're sorry all of the rendesmavir is sold out. And you can come back and check with us when more stock will be available. So this really illustrates the whole scam, right? So you got this company, Gilead, that pays off politicians to discredit effective drugs like hydroxychloroquine. They promote this drug, rendesmavir, which has dubious research at best to show decrease in hospital stay. Not It did not show a decrease in mortality. They bury... Tons of research supporting um, how effective hydroxychloroquine is. And then the government uses taxpayer money to buy up these uh, doses 
and I, I want to say a five-day dose of the Rendesmivir is something like $3,120. I mean, this stuff is going on rampant throughout all of health care, and that's why I'm electing you. That's why I want you to go to government to stop this back, give us back our freedom. Let's in- improve and increase the transparency in health care and stop these practices. So one of the things that you mentioned is different drugs and how they've been used historically. Let's talk about Tamiflu. Tamiflu has been widely prescribed for, for a long time now. It was the leading treatment for flu, and, and what's ironic is that even the CDC realized eventually that there's not going to be a mortality benefit from Tamiflu, and the end point res, result of whether you're going to get it better quicker or not was about a half a day in, in the course of a week. Same thing with treating strep, another thing with antibiotics. And so we ended up treating all these diseases, and, and this is where I'm going I'm to take a step back from being a doctor as a second and just say, a lot of times doctors over-treat diseases. We know this for a fact. There are real downsides to treating viral infections with antibiotics, which physicians do all the time because you want the patient to feel like you've done something for them. They went through all the trouble to come see me. They're paying me for the visit. Now they well, want, they're, they're incentivized with the billing, right? Now, now they prescribe want prescribe medicine. You can upcode now, and now they want a solution. You gave them a pill that solved their problem, even though your body would have solved this within a week. Yeah. But I gave them Tamiflu, which, by the way, made your stomach upset, made you feel like garbage. Yeah. And now you come back the next day to the ER. Now you're going to get another bill yeah. because I don't feel good. I feel worse than when they gave me that before the Tamiflu. And which to I say to them, you're not going to like this bill because I'm going to tell you, stop taking the medication you were just given and you'll feel better and you'll get over this disease process in about the same amount of time. You know, by the way, these antibiotics that people are getting for earaches that really aren't earaches because I, when I re-examine them the, a day after they started their antibiotics and their stomach's upset, they have diarrhea from the antibiotics. And I look in the ears, I'm like, Slightly cloudy, which is probably, and not bulging, probably a viral infection of your ear, which is 90% of the, the earaches that you probably have out there. Uh, but yet people have scalded skin syndrome and all kinds of bad antibiotic uh, reactions where you end up with uh, anaphylaxis. We, we probably lose about 400 uh, times more people every year from, from bad drug reactions than we do from not giving medications, antibiotics for people who shouldn't have them. And, and this is the problem with the way that we knee-jerk reactions, even inside the physician community, who are supposed to be the most educated, the most scientifically based. Uh, we're doing the wrong things based off of pressure for perceived uh, progress. And that's where it really bothers me. Uh, you talk about moving the goalposts with, with a drug. Uh, Originally, what we were trying to do with the COVID response was flatten the curve. Once we flatten the curve, then what happened? Well, now it's about nobody dying. And by but, flatten the curve, you mean not have so many people come to the hospital yes. at the same time that they overwhelm the system. Now, here's the irony, and, and this is the ultimate irony because I've worked uh, six out of the last seven nights. And, and I'll tell you this. We are getting a second wave. But yet the, the original intent was to flatten the curve. But what we did when we flattened the curve – we had a high mortality rate, and that was unfortunate because a lot of, we didn't know how to treat the disease. A lot of people who were most vulnerable got exposed because of bad policies from government. And, and uh, But now we're seeing this huge second wave of infections, but the death rate is going down. So ironically, even though we flattened the curve originally, and the death toll was high, now we have a high incident rate but a low mortality rate. And, and so we're moving the bar again because 
we are actually having full hospitals. And, and right, for, and notice that the reports every day on the news are not about mortality. It's about cases. <laughs> and this is ironic because it was just the opposite before. And, and so this is the irony of the way that news is reported. And I will say that we're also It's agenda-driven. Yes. And they're going to present it to you in the way that drives their agenda. There's lies, damn lies, and, and statistics, statistics yeah. as uh, Mark Twain was saying. But one thing I'm finding also is we're having a huge influx of patients in the ER that are not COVID-related that put off their yeah. ER visit. That's what I'm seeing as well. For decompensated heart failure and other things and infections because they were worried about coming to the ER because of the epidemic or pandemic, if you will. And, and so now we're seeing a lot of sick patients there filling up the hospitals that should have come in earlier, but were scared to come in. And, and ironically, when at the beginning of this pandemic, when so many people were dying, the hospital was empty. Now the hospital is full of all kinds of people that put off their elective procedures with, with surgeries or, or other things that they needed to take care of with their hearts. We knew that for a fact that a lot of people have died at home of heart attacks because they didn't want to come to the ER. They're scared of a, a disease process that they may or may not be exposed to. And so they, they literally stayed at home and, and died of something they could have been solved at, at the ER because they didn't want to come in and be exposed because everybody's scared to death. You know, in the spirit of telling the truth, which I'm always going to do to my listeners, and I'm not concerned about politics, but, you know, let's talk about the numbers here, too. You know, as a physician, my only... Um, my only allegiance was to my patients. You know, I had a business, and if I had people coming in and dying, that would not be good for my business. So obviously I had a vested interest in making sure that I could continue to treat patients and do it safely. So I investigated this information. I wasn't trying to make money on masks. I wasn't trying to make money on any kind of medication. I was trying to figure out how I could continue to treat my patients and keep them safe from COVID. And I was able to do that. The government didn't do that at all. And you and I both know that these numbers that we're looking at, which, by the way, I'm just going to accept the numbers on face value. And the numbers tell us that, according to the CDC's own website, that the mortality associated with COVID is similar to flu. And for our school-age children, it's far less than flu. That is a fact. That's on the CDC's own website. Okay, now let's talk about the numbers. I had a patient that came to my office for an orthopedic issue. We had to send him to one of the major hospitals in town for some other stuff. A radiologist there looked at a chest X-ray and diagnosed him with COVID based on the appearance of the chest X-ray. Well, why would he do that? Well, Medicare has, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Medicare has uh, given you a 20% increase in payment for COVID diagnosis. It's 100% payment with no copay to the patient, uh, and you're encouraged to basically make these diagnoses uh, on suspicion alone. You don't even need to test for it. Uh, the guy comes back to my clinic. Well, I actually do care if he has it. So we tested him, and he was negative. So here you get a guy who clearly didn't have it, but he got marked as a positive case. Uh, we just saw in um, a video of a town council meeting in uh, a North Dallas county where they're deploying these contact tracers. You and I both know that contact tracing is not a way to manage a disease of this kind at this stage. Contact tracers are in the beginning, before it gets out to try and contract it. When you have a disease like this that is already out, contact tracers are ridiculous. So anyway, they've deployed these contact tracers, and what they're doing, they they said it in this town council meeting, is that they'll take a positive patient, find that patient, and if they came in contact 
with 20 other people. They just add those 20 other people as being positive cases. And so the news every day, I mean, you turn it on and literally I watch the news for one second and it's like we're seeing a surge in cases. It's always new cases. And it's kind of like getting me to be afraid of car accidents by telling me how many cars are on the road. It's just ridiculous what they're presenting to me. They'll go and tell me that um, ICUs are 70 percent occupancy in Arizona, you know, dun, 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 dun. Turns out they're normally 85% full because they've shut the place down. Uh, That's the other thing is they're 80% full now because they've laid everybody off and they have these skeleton crews. So the numbers are artificially inflated. There's no question that there's a political bent to it. And so as a physician, having to sift through this stuff is really, really difficult. And then on top of that, you got government officials that are interfering with the practice of medicine by threatening our licenses, uh, by preventing us from prescribing medicines like hydroxychloroquine that have been FDA approved for 70 years safe as could be one of the safest drug profiles out there and then all of a sudden these studies coming out of left field and right field it's not only not working it's dangerous it's dangerous i'm thinking to myself man this is worse than i ever thought and trying to get people to understand this is really really difficult because it's 24 7 we're all gonna die and presenting facts in the way to make you the most hysterical. Now, interesting enough, if uh, President Trump never mentioned the drug, then it wouldn't be a controversy at all. Uh, there are some more dangerous uh, drugs that you might have heard of uh, on the study list. Uh, way above hydroxychloroquine is a drug called aspirin. It's been around yep. for a little while. And Tylenol, Tylenol which yep. are two drugs that are literally you can go down the store and buy as much as you like and nobody cares i would say benadryl is probably way more dangerous also in a different way you know i I see these doctors these talking heads on tv and they say well we need to wait for more studies we need we need another study for hydroxychloroquine i'm thinking to myself research doesn't work that way we don't get that one final study and be like okay we're done looking at this thing research gives you pieces of information and different studies have different power and different um level of biases and things like that and it adds to the overall body of knowledge and you know i'm I'm gonna admit i wasn't you know an hydroxychloroquine aficionado three months ago but i've been reading everything there is on it and in fact there is tons of research out there to support the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine Fauci himself has a study on the last coronavirus we had suggesting that hydroxychloroquine is effective. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, uh, there's just this misinformation campaign. And in the back of my head, I'm asking why? Why are they doing it? Well, it's about money. It's about politics. It's about power. I mean, where is this money coming from to pay these contact tracers? I'm going to guess that these are a lot of the same people that are signing people up uh, for, you know, a certain political party to vote. Uh, Where do you get an experienced contact tracer? I'm a doctor. You're a doctor. You know anything about contact tracers that are just experts waiting in the wings to suddenly be employed by government to go out there and do it? And my final point on this is, as part of this show, I'm always advocating for free market medicine because if you go and socialize medicine, you wait in that long line till you finally get the doctor. If you don't like what that doctor says, too bad. You don't get to shop other doctors, but just look what's happening during the COVID uh, pandemic. You're seeing doctors with all kinds of opinions, which is why we need to preserve your right to see different doctors and get different opinions so that you can decide what's best for your own health care. Man, you nailed it. Here, here's the problem. Once the government takes over anything, that there's not allowed any dissent. 
And this is always the problem. This is why less government is always better. And this is why these overreaches where they're squashing dissent really actually concerns me. There's not much I'm concerned about in this world, but government overreach is something that we as the people, once it gets to a certain point, cannot fight anymore. They've shown it historically in every nation that's become socialist, um, becomes communist. It's a natural yeah. progression where you I lose. don't even play those games anymore. Marxism, socialism, communism, democratic socialism, it's all the same thing. It's, it's authoritarian government. And it's scary because at some point or another you lose any dissent and then the government decides what drugs you take, what clothes you wear, what everything that you determine is gone. But it's so easy, right? For Gilead, they've got Rendesmavir. A pandemic comes up. they got to get this thing to market. They make a bogus study. It's so easy to go pay the people at the top in the government and the FDA, and all of a sudden that becomes a mandate. Oh, we're using Rendesmavir. Oh, I don't want to buy it. Don't worry. We're going to use taxpayer money and s- sell it out. Bingo. And, you know, if somebody like you or me is in there like, hey, i got a question about this – you know, immediately we'll be a racist or we'll be a quack. They'll attack us. And here's a little something for your campaign fund. And next thing you know, everybody's just kind of in line. And listen, folks, that is the reason that I'm supporting Rich McCormick for the Georgia 7th, because I know he's not that kind of guy. And I've been doing this for a very long time. And I really don't believe anybody isn't that kind of guy, but Rich is. And I believe when he goes there, he's going to look out for our best interests and not get bought off. And we've got to be careful, too, uh, if you look at what's happening with General Flynn, for example. That should scare people, whether the IRS be used against people. For or- people who don't understand what happened to General Flynn, they set him up for a crime he did not commit. And Sidney Powell, his attorney, basically got evidence uh, that was exculpatory evidence that, by the way, has been withheld for the last four or five years. And now he's suddenly been uh, um, exonerated. Uh, but the judge in his case... After the state said that we actually have no evidence to prosecute them, wouldn't allow him to wouldn't allow the the, the uh, prosecution to drop the case, which, by the way, is not the role of a judge. They're a referee. They have no role in the prosecution. But, ladies and gentlemen, we are seeing our country disintegrate in front of us. And General Flynn should scare all of you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Right? If you're a force, if you're if you're a general, Three and stars. you're ser- and you're serving the. Um, the president of the United States, and you can be unfairly uh, prosecuted, that should make you, as a average citizen, worry about your rights. And once again, I go back to less government is always better because the bigger a government is, the more likely you are to have your rights jeopardized. The founding fathers knew this. That's why they limited us. That's why they have amazing constitution to create a, a uh, government that's limited by itself. Rich, uh, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. As usual, you and I uh, see the world very similarly. I'm really excited for you. How can people find you and support you for your uh, campaign? RichMcCormick.us. McCormick is M-C-C-O-R-M-I-C-K, just like the spice. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. We're going to have Rich back again. He's one of my favorite guests. I'm Scott Barber, The Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Find me on Twitter at at Dr. Scott underscore Atlanta. That's at Dr. Scott underscore Atlanta. Uh, We'll see you next time. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.